Welcome to the Skeptic Wire. This is episode 28 of The Skeptic Wire. Yay! Uh, recording from San Antonio in the Go Recording Studios. I'm David Harcourt, joined as always by Gary Lawn, Greg Perrine. I don't remember. And Donna Swafford. Really? Not again? Yeah, we're doing it again, Donna. <laughs> Coming off of a wonderful, uh, fun filled uh, experience at the Texas Free Thought Convention. Uh, if you caught our live episode from there, if you didn't, please catch it. That was last uh, week. That was last week. A lot of fun. Um, let's talk about that for a second. Um, we had s- an incredible time. And yes, we did. We met some incredible people. And I would love to give everyone a shout out, but there's just too many of you. But uh, Donna had Donna really uh, helped us meet a lot of really cool people. It's one of these situations. Tell us about it, Don. Yeah. Um, Thursday night, we were all in the bar meeting, you know, some of the people that were getting there early and just happened to strike up a conversation with Kelly Cook. Hi, Kelly. Hope you guys are doing well. Um, now and- you're going to make everybody else jealous. Well, Is she related <laughs> to Captain Cook by any chance? Yeah. She might be. Okay. I need things to throw at Gary this episode, I think. Um, Kelly Cook and her production company was actually um, hired by... The group to by the groups to film the convention. Everything. Film everything, and they ended up a film crew short, <laughs> and I got roped into Shanghai. The understudy. Yeah, <laughs> right. they, they really had to twist your arm into it. I could I could tell. Right, but um, <laughs> got to sit down and talk with several of the, I guess the the big names of the convention, and hopefully. <clears throat> Yes, I got to interview Richard Dawkins, Yay. and he is as terribly British as everybody thinks. Oh, yes. <laughs> Especially after he watched me freak out in the elevator. <laughs> so. I, I, I actually ran into Dawkins a couple of times and just didn't know what to say. You know, I, I love Richard Dawkins because he's a, such an influence, and I just, I spent 28 floors on an elevator with him, and and all I had to say was, that nice is a, convention, right? That is a great song title, 28 floors in an elevator with Alone with, Dawkins. with Richard Dawkins, and I was just totally tongue-tied. Oh, well, maybe another time. Right. Um, but thanks to some of the people that we met, you might be seeing some guest appearances in the next couple of months here on the skeptic wire <laughs> won't be richard dawkins but a lot of a lot of great names and and one of the best things about these conferences i i think is because a lot of these people aren't like international celebrities they're just within the skeptic atheist movement celebrities they're very down to earth people so you can just go up to pz myers or um, you know, brother Richard or something, and just strike a, strike up a conversation. In fact, last year at the 2010 Texas Free Thought Convention, I met brother Richard in the bathroom. Whoa! whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I met. Uh, we were washing our hands next to each other, but we, <laughs> you know, you can just. Foot. I met Michael Shermer <laughs> uh, in the line for bagels. Yeah, oh, yeah. You and I were there. <laughs> 
And I mentioned his name because I had the shirt, and he, he heard his name. And turned, he's right in front of us. Like, that was actually oh, an amazing sure. thing, that, that bagel place. We, we need to go back there because we didn't know this, and they didn't quite tell us at the beginning, but they had free coffee. Like Once you got your cup, you could go back and refill. It's, it's, if they, I think if they would have told everybody, they would have been uh, wiped Cleaned out. Cleaned out, oh, yeah. Because yeah, you know, people Zantius. did not get a lot of sleep. I know yeah. I didn't. No, average at about four hours a night, something like that. <laughs> Yeah. Average. Average. <laughs> That's pretty What's high average for me, I think. <laughs> um, yeah. And and the people. Oh, well, we want to thank the people who put this this on. Let me see who is. So uh, uh, shout out to. Uh, oh, what the hell's his name? Paul Mitchell. <laughs> Paul. Paul. Just good. All right. And, good and friend Nick, of the podcast. You got to get you on the first show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get him in here to talk someday after after his birthday celebrations are over. Uh, yeah, because you know he just turned twenty-one. He did. Yeah, it, we, he's doing quite well for twenty-one. You know, put on like a couple <laughs> of conventions. Shit, that means he was like seventeen when he put on his first convention. Yeah. Uh, Richard Dawkins Foundation, Atheist Experience, United Center of Reason, or United Coalition of Reason. Uh, Our own San Antonio group, Fact. Yeah. Uh, Houston absolutely. Atheists. Houston, absolutely. They they did a real good job. Yep. Atheist Alliance of America. Did I mention that? I didn't no, know. that was Nick Lee. But yeah, Nick Lee and the Texas president. Free Thought Convention, who, funnily enough, put on a convention called the Texas Free Thought Convention. Yeah, they're their <laughs> own kind of core organization. I know. Um, you know, Paul has had some pretty you know long term plans for this. So the Texas Free Thought Convention is probably going to be around for quite a long time. Yep. Um, yeah. And they do a really good job of organizing it. I've been to big conferences, and I've been to the TFC, which is a little, you know, it's a smaller conference. Just as well organized. There's about know. six or 700 people there. Yeah. Yeah, six there's between people. six and 700. And after this convention, I, I'm i just curious of what Paul's going to do next. So, because... <laughs> the next one's back Austin. in Austin. Yep. Austin. Yeah. Austin, this time next year, so... <laughs> and between now and then... The reason, the rally for reason in Washington D.C. Washington, tickets are already on sale. Well, the rally you don't have to buy tickets for, for but there's but a convention. There's a yes. convention also. Yeah, I believe it's the American Atheist Convention. Yeah, which is always confusing because the TFC was co-sponsored this year by the Atheist Alliance of America, which recently split off from the Atheist Alliance International, which is completely different from the. American, American org, which is completely different from the People's Front of Judea. Right. So and uh, different a, from uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and, and the, the American, Anthrop- American Anthropological Association. American right. Automobile Association. <laughs> right. Yeah. So as long as you get all those those names straight. Um, but the United Co- Coalition of Reason has it all figured out, I'm sure. I certainly hope so. Yeah. One fun thing that um, it was an interesting thing to see him try to figure out what was going on is um, something we didn't get to talk about on the live show we did last week because we did the live show on Saturday, is on Sunday morning, uh, Richard Dawkins did a presentation on his new book, The Magic of Reality. Cool. And it's a beautiful book, and he was beautiful the most... iPad app. Yeah, he was the most animated I've ever seen him. Especially, as you say, he demonstrated the iPad ad, app for it, and he brought up the, the, the kids who were there at the Camp Quest kind of the, um, you know, not daycare, but kind of the activity for the kids so they don't have to listen to all the boring adult speeches. But there's this one point where Dawkins plugs in the uh, the, the iPad app and he's going to be explaining it. And he asks all the kids in the front row, well, now, 
how many of you have used an iPad? <laughs> and they all raise their hands. It's like, oh, well, yes, of course. Of course you have. <laughs> yeah. Very terribly British and just... Well, of course. And I didn't so, know he was so good with kids. Yeah, was it, was, it was fun to watch him. He brought all the different kids on stage, and you know, there was this one one demonstration where it's the Newton's cannon thing, where if you shoot it hard, hard enough, a cannonball could go into orbit around Earth. And it was a little, little app to kind of you would do the degrees and how hard you shot the cannon. Um, and all the different kids were were doing it in in session. He was like, "Okay, well, give it a try now. All right, now <laughs> just hold it a little longer. There, there you go." And it was. Very terribly British, but he was having, you could tell he was having so much fun, and the audience was really engaged, because it's wonderful material, and if, I just want to buy ha- it for my yeah, my nieces you, and cousins and I know, all that. if you have an iPad, and you know anyone from like 10 years old, 14 probably, yeah. it's going to be a great, great thing. I think it also with. would be good for younger kids, too. It teaches too. you yeah. science, and just in a fun way. My 8-year-old loves it. Great. So, but, Okay. The, the terribly British, that does not turn off because, as you all learned, I, I'm claustrophobic. And at one point, I'm in the elevator with Richard Dawkins, some of his co-workers, as well as three camera crews, one of which was from Dateline, Australia. And I was flipping the fuck out. And there's no other way to put it. And he's all like, please tell me you're not going to die right here. <laughs> and I'm all like... I, at that point, there's no point in trying to be cool. I'm just like, I will be fine. <laughs> he's, all like, he's all like, good, because we really can't do anything for you. <laughs> Speak to me in your resonant language. <laughs> well, But yeah, the, t- the terribly British is, yeah, he's that way. So. Speaking of the convention, uh, I was tweeting during the whole time. So we do have some pictures on our, our Facebook page, our fan page, and also on yeah, SkepticWire, or Facebook.com slash SkepticWire, and then also on our blog. And we'll be putting more pictures up. In, because yeah, they, they went from Twitter to, to our... No, they went to our Facebook, didn't they? Yeah, not on our blog, <laughs> our blog. <laughs> 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 All right, so to translate to the okay, listeners, God. Gary was live tweeting a bunch of pictures from inside the convention. From way back. Which yeah. showed up on our Facebook page. Go check some of those out. And also, we each all took individual photos with speakers and friends we made. And uh, we'll post some more of those to our Facebook page. Please go yes. out and like it. Facebook.com slash SkepticWire. And, and pretty I, soon the embarrassing pictures will be moved over there. No, I think most of the embarrassing photos I'll leave on my personal page. Yeah. It's more the, these, are the, these remember, are the luminaries we met. You can't, you can't black, blackmail them if everybody knows you're yeah. there. Right. So go friend Gregory Gerg <laughs> if you want to see the embarrassing I, I I have my own personal rule about Facebook that I normally just friend people that I've actually met in person. But if you're a listener and would like to friend me, just say that in a little comment when you friend me and let me know, and I'd be happy to. Yeah, and he only, he only posts embarrassing pictures of yeah. me. Oh, okay, <laughs> hold on, hold on. There are some embarrassing ones of me there, too. So. You know what, I'm just going to cut that out, because no one needs yeah. to know that there's a picture of me. Yeah, we had a lot of fun guessing. with um, a lot of the friends we made, and we were um, uh, the four of us were amongst the last 15 or 20 people still there on Sunday night of the convention, and uh, we hung out with a lot of people and had a lot of great fun. Um, after Let the our hair down, so yes. to speak. So great fun. The the long talks about punctuated equilibrium were over, and it was <laughs> let 
let's sing Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. All right. And the last thing I'll say about this is I've been to other conferences before, but it was so gratifying to me to see how much you guys enjoyed your first conference because it was an amazing time. And I, I just, I had that new conference energy off of you guys. And if, if any of our listeners can go to these conventions, it's definitely worth it, especially your local ones where you know local issues, but the big ones like the American Atheist, the AAA, the TAM, all that are worth it. I had an elevator gate. Oh. oh dear. I got propositioned in the elevator. <laughs> Is this going to go viral? Only apparently it was um, a crazy Christian fundamentalist, which really kind of creeped me out, but hey. <laughs> it's got to be flattering at least and a little. So what did he say? <laughs> he I basically invited me back to his hotel no, room. What did he say exactly? He said, do you want to go back to my hotel room with me? He didn't say for coffee? No, he didn't say for coffee. Just go back to your hotel room? Hotel room at like 3 in the morning. And he said, said for... <laughs> and you said? I went, no. Immaculate conception? <laughs> there was nothing, nothing immaculate about what I just did. Okay, so we'll be at the next one. <laughs> Definitely. Austin. Yeah. Um, be there or be square. Let's talk about Occupy San Antonio. Yeah, I went down there this last week with my other podcast partner, a guy named Andre Myers. You, you slut. I am. I have all kinds of podcasts. What is the name of that other podcast? It's called Injudicious Ramblings, and let me tell you, it is. Uh, I definitely won't be running for public office um, unless I can manage to pull all of those off. So we went to, we went down and we were interviewing some of the, the protesters, uh, just basic run-of-the-mill people. And we also got to talk with the one of the media coordinators uh, of Occupy San Antonio. And so I uh, this last week, or actually the beginning of this week, I, I put up the put up the interviews. Uh, so go to it in Judicious Ramblings, um, injudiciousramblings.blogspot.com, or on iTunes. And it was, it was what was really cool is the people we talked to kind of knew why they were there. Which is nice, you know, because right. you see some of the interviews with people that are going on some of the news reports, and it's, they complete dumbasses. They have no idea. They have no clue. They're just mad. Yeah. But these these people actually had a reason to be out, so it was, it was, it was refreshing. So here's the thing: um, this is happening all over the country. They don't want any cash, but um, they're staying out in places like in San Antonio here. They're out by the Hemisphere Park. Uh, they cannot put up structures, but they're going to be camping out there, so they want blankets and food and water and and stuff like that. So if you can, uh, bring some of that stuff out, uh, sleeping bags. So they're not all Marxists like Fox News says? <laughs> not necessarily. <laughs> but, no, these these people just, you know, they, they do care about... Uh, equality in America, and and they care about uh, society and how it's being affected by the huge discrepancy and disparity between the top 1% and 99%. There's been kind of an interesting... I've started to see people post articles on Facebook and stuff about a lot more of the atheist and skeptical bloggers and podcasts are starting to discuss... Well, how how skeptical a topic of this is, you know, how much should we talk about Occupy Wall Street yeah. and how much should the humanist atheist community get involved as a unit? Um, it's interesting to see that discussion develop in the um, beginning stages of this this movement, whatever it will turn out to be. 
Yeah, because a some, lot of people are describing yeah, they're it questioning as should atheists get behind this? And yeah. of course, we have uh, it, it has the potential to split the community a bit if if mm-hmm. if we do. Um, I'm certainly personally behind it. Um, a, lot, a lot of people are talking about how it's it really kind of talks about the humanist values of you know humans being equal and everybody being. Um, Having being able to have a basic subsistence subsistence level living and um, right to to healthcare and all that right. being a very humanist value, so that's where a lot of people come to it from. Yeah, yeah. I, I I'm still it's it's difficult. It's hard to judge, you know, until you really know. There's such a wide diverse group with such different ideas of what this country should be. There's a lot of people that say things need to change, but there's a lot of people out there that I don't agree with, obviously, because mm-hmm. there's just such a wide variety of people. Well, it's, and, and then they have this. It's sort dangerous of, to say, "Hey, I support this," right? Because you can pull out people who just are just crazy. Well, right, and, crazy and, well, and their and their manifesto was so long and convoluted; it kind of covered everything, which is fairly annoying. Um, but they, they've they've sort of narrowed it down now. But what we have been seeing recently is sort of that the anti. Occupy Wall Street with the I am the 53%, and these are people working two jobs or three jobs, and they're very happy to work their asses off because they're 21 years old or whatever, and they're and they're proud of it. And and honestly, I was the same way. I still am the same way. But you shouldn't have to work three jobs to to just make a living. You know, like you said, subs, just your your basic level a living wage. Yeah. Yeah. So and that's really kind of where we're going. So should be interesting. This is, not, yeah. this is not that podcast, though. We're not going to talk about it. Here. We, <laughs> yeah, I just, we just, wanna, I just wanted to mention. Right, uh, you were out go. there, yeah, and that's great. You were out there and got the flavor uh, of and San I'm, Antonio. I'm covering it. We're covering it on, on my other podcast. And check it on inju- so, injudicious, ramblings. injudicious ramblings. And and who knows? In the weeks to come, the the movement may change a lot, and we may decide that. There's a specific topic on that that we want to discuss, but we'll see what happens. And if listeners have any suggestions, they can go to facebook.com slash skepticwire and give us a give us a shout out. Yep. Or our blog, skepticwire.blogspot.com. Okay. So we're going to move into our long topics. And I'm going to start with a very, very important subject. Yes. And, um, I'm going to talk about breathing. It's something we all do. Um, can I let out this breath? You can Breathe, please. Breathe. Breathe deep. I'm asthmatic. That's very important to me. Now, apparently some people are better at this than others. Really? And I'm not talking about better than, like, Greg, an asthmatic. <laughs> but some wow, people... You, you just got hit slow. Wow. <laughs> ...are just better. And some people have written books on how to breathe. And some people teach courses on how to breathe. Yes, I just cause... always find it funny when, they, when you're in an aerobics class and they tell you, don't forget to breathe. Yes, yeah, that's the one that I always think is funny. Yes, yeah. and you need a course to say, in, out. I've seen some porn where they're actually pretty good at breathing. <laughs> now, we have one such person I thought here that was in, holding their breath. in San Antonio. Yeah, it's part of breathing. <laughs> a local story. This is a local story. Oh, okay. That's what caught my eye. Because local we have someone here teaching um, how to breathe. This is uh, Debbie Anderson. <clears throat> Excuse me. She's a local yoga teacher, and he. <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay. Yoga continue. teacher and healer. 
And uh, now we've talked about Debbie before. She's the one who taught us how we regulate our body temperature by breathing through our nostrils. Oh, nostril lady. So I think it's a left is to warm your body, right is to cool your body, or is it the other way around? Yeah. Something like that. I don't remember. Um, I got all hot and cold at the same time, and then I had to split, and I had two of me running around (laughs) like an amoeba. Let David talk. So now she teaches a breathing technique called... Pranayama. I'm not going to talk about that. Maybe if she joins the holistic chamber, we can we can investigate that. But what caught my eye is she wrote a um, an article in our current in our local weekly alternative uh, paper, The Current, called The Current, exactly. Right. And um, about the importance of proper breathing. Okay. So I'm going to read off each of her points and offer <clears throat> a few comments, honey. So and so will we. Yes. <laughs> And breathing is important, so uh, this is why for all you skeptics out there. So, so breathe while he does it. Don't hold your breath. This is important. So here are ten ways better breathing can improve your health by Debbie Anderson. Yay! Yay. <clears throat> Number one. Wait a minute. It's by Yoga Dose. It's the Yoga Dose blog. Oh, I see. By Debbie. By okay. Debbie Anderson. Sorry. My bad. <clears throat> yes. You idiot. It nourishes the cells of the body with oxygen. Yeah, my response to that was, uh, okay, duh. (laughs) Okay, and she says, this one may seem obvious, yeah, but for some reason or another, whenever we feel depleted, most of us don't usually seem to connect how we are feeling with how we are breathing. According to Dr. Arthur C. Guyton, MD. Appeal from authority. In the textbook of, no, he's a doctor, he's he's a doctor, MD, on the textbook of medical physiology, quote, all chronic pain, suffering, and disease diseases are caused by a lock, lack of oxygen at the cell level. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> let's look at that last statement, okay? There's a couple things wrong with it. First of all, it's clearly <laughs> not true. I, I think we can all think of diseases and suffering that is not caused by a lack of oxygen at the at cellular the cell. level. I'm sure there are a few people who live around the Fukushima plant in Japan who might think that Oxygen at the cellular level isn't the biggest deal for their health. The other problem is that although I found this quote all over the Internet, I cannot find this quote in the textbook on medical physiology by Dr. Arthur C. Guyton. It did. (laughs) Um, This is a well-respected and popular textbook. It's also available on the Internet free as a PDF. And I searched for the terms chronic pain and suffering. And although I found several hits for each, these words... None of them had anything to do with a lack of oxygen at the cellular level. So we either this quote is made up or misattributed, and I think either way we can safely dismiss it. Boo, yoga dose. <laughs> okay, interesting. Interesting semi-quote mine. Well, what else does breathing do for you? Because this is just one of the ten. Number two, it boosts the immune system. Of course it does. <laughs> quote, <clears throat> oxygen plays a pivotal role in the functioning of the immune system. According to Paris M. Kidd, M.D., I'm sorry, Ph.D., PhD and to author of Antioxidant Adaptation, Its Role in Free Radical Pathology. The connection of the breath with the health of our immune system has to do with the role of the breath in stress reduction. When our body is under stress, we tend to breathe more slow, shallowly, and this triggers the sympathetic nervous system to react as though we are in danger, <gasps> known as the fight-or-flight response. Deep breathing triggers our parasympathetic nervous system, which reduces our sensation of stress and induces a state of calm throughout the body. 
I'll kind of agree with that. I notice that when I shallow breathe, like when I'm driving, I get really mad and I have to take the deep breaths. You take the deep breaths to calm down. But is the shallow breathing causing the stress response? No, 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 no I think no. it's the stress See? response that's causing the shallow breathing. I think breathing. she's got a little bit of the cause and effect switch. I believe yeah. you're Plus, correct. You know, when well, you're... maybe her neutrinos are acting up. You're exactly. <laughs> but but if you take control of your breathing and start breathing deeply, it does calm you down. But she, that's a temporary thing. It's a temporary, uh, I mean, this is going to be a lot of these topics, and I'm sure Dave was planning on touching on this, but it's a temporary thing of you take a deep breath that relaxes you, yes. but that's not going to change your entire physiology for the next 20 years and prevent you from getting cancer. Dr. Paris Kidd is contributing editor of Alternative Medicine Review. Of course he is. And he's written a book titled Why You Should Take Your Vitamins. And he's a supplement developer. <laughs> supplement isn't that big pharma <laughs> but this should not it, it take really away is. from what he's saying that oxygen plays an important role in the immune system it does and it has nothing to do with the stress reduction or the flight fight or flight response it has to do with the fact that our immune system can create free radicals which are a reactive form of oxygen and use them to kill pathogens there's also the fact that the immune cells themselves can't live without oxygen <laughs> right and there's also the fact that if you stop breathing you die well, there's that. I also found that on the internet. She didn't include that one, but that's there. She, um, yeah, she doesn't include that if you stop breathing, you die. <laughs> that should be number one. Yeah, Paris Kids' whole point is it's, it's a very complex physiological thing where you can create these free radicals, which are a reactive oxygen. They kill pathogens, and, and he's selling antioxidants, which will kill excess free radicals. It has absolutely nothing to do with whether you're breathing Eight breaths a minute or 16 breaths a minute. Okay? So let's move on. Number three, it lowers blood pressure. In the same way that deep breathing calms the nervous system to boost our immunity, whatever, it also helps to reduce blood pressure. Quote, the relationship between breathing and blood pressure has been known and understood for a long time, says Dr. Fried, Ph.D., author of The Breath Connection. Appeal to it authority. It boils down to this. Elevated blood pressure, blah, 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 blah. Let's Why are there so many songs about breathing? You know, I don't have a problem with the fact that breathe, deep breathing and listening to breath lowers your blood pressure. But just like you said, Greg, it's not a long-term strategy for lowering blood pressure. Okay? Exactly. <clears throat> It's a very temporal thing, correct? If you're yeah. upset, go ahead and breathe a little bit, and maybe you'll lower your blood pressure. For five minutes. Deeply, yeah. <laughs> Number four, it regulates our hormones. This, yeah, this kind of confused the hell out of me. <laughs> the pituitary gland is responsible for regulating all the glands in the body Mostly and true. our production of hormones. The average person takes 15 breaths per minute. When we slow our natural breathing to a rate of eight breaths per minute, you try that. <laughs> it stimulates the pituitary gland to function optimally, balancing our hormone production. Okay. Debbie, <clears throat> breathing does not regulate hormones. Hormones regulate breathing. Okay? Your hormones regulate your breathing. Um, there is a correlation, but you've missed cause and effect. Just like Donna said, your faster than light neutrinos that Nick Finkstein <laughs> was talking about, where cause and effect can get switched. Maybe that's your problem. Um. Okay, so the average person, so we normally breathe 15 breaths. We normally breathe 15 breaths. That's that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to suddenly start slowing down our breathing. You is know, that what you're saying? We're supposed I to slow it down I think what she's trying to, to say is that the minute. lack of oxygen is just going to make us feel like we're... Oh, I guess with eight breaths per minute, you're, you're breathing deeper. You're so breathing deeper. deeper. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. 
I don't know why. This um, reminds me of Remo But try Williams. eight breaths a minute when you're walking or, or climbing stairs or something. Um, <laughs> or, or working out. Or anything. You know what? A little <laughs> off topic here. They talk about how important breathing reduces stress. How stressful is it to be told that you constantly have to think you're about how you're breathing wrong. or you're, you're going to get cancer wrong. and heart disease and you're <laughs> breathing wrong? How was I, how have I been breathing the last 30 seconds? I don't know. Oh shit. You know, how stressful is that? It kind of reminds me of, um, Daryl Ray's first, uh, not his first book, but his last book, uh, The God Virus, where he talks about the guilt cycle of churches where they're the ones who teach you to guilt, the guilt. And they're also the only ones who can take the guilt away. Yes. So it's the exactly. cycle of they make you feel guilty, they take the guilt away, but you're going to do these things anyway, so they make you feel guilty. So, so they make this you woman makes you feel stressful you about breathing. Uh, seminars. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's this. It's it's a money making scheme. Toxins are building up in your body. Yeah. Water's that, not getting in your cells. Yeah. That's, you're not breathing right. Oh shit. <laughs> Uh, I need yeah. to relax all this alternative uh, stuff. Speaking of toxins. Oh, it re- number five, it removes toxins from our cells. Uh. Our breath, now this is true, our breath is the most detoxifying function of the body, according to Gay Hendricks, Ph.D., author of Conscious Breathing. Quote, so the human we, body... So what we should do is tell those meth addicts that they should just breathe in <laughs> deeper rather than to get a stomach pump? According to Gay <laughs> Hendricks, Ph.D., the human body is designed to discharge 70% of its toxins through breathing. Only a small percentage of toxins are discharged through sweat, defecation, urination. And through the feet. If you're breathing... <laughs> the Only soles you of the your feet. Footpath. That's got to be at least 25%. If your breathing is not operating at peak efficiency, you are not ridding yourself of toxins properly. Now, I found this quote all over the internet. In fact, a lot of these quotes come from this Gay Hendricks PhD. So I looked him up. Guess what his PhD is in? Um, if you're going to say oh, anthropology, I, I'm going to throw no. up. <laughs> I, I know this one. But I don't remember it. Uh, veterinary medicine. English literature. Counseling psychology. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> so the man has no background in biology. I'm, I'm wondering about... Or in bi- yeah, with, with biology, that kind of... did I say biography? What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with that kind of education, I'm wondering about this 70% of toxins quote. Does it really... Is, is that mean that basically... Is it really just talking about carbon dioxide? Yeah, I imagine it is. If you count carbon dioxide as a toxin, I mean, then absolutely. Technically, yes. It's no, a, no, it is no. not. No, it is not. Michelle Bachman has said that there is no <laughs> evidence that carbon dioxide is bad for us. Number six, and this is an important one. Yes. It reduces the risk of cancer. Dun, dun, dun. Breathing right reduces the risk of cancer. Dr. Otto Warburg. Nobel Prize winner and director of the Max Planck Institute of Cell Physiology in Berlin. Major appeal to authority. Has conducted research that confirms that the key condition preceding the development of cancer is a lack of oxygen at the cellular level. He states, quote, cancer has only one prime cause. It is the replacement of normal oxygen respiration of the body cells by anaerobic oxygen deficient cell respiration. Okay. Yeah, that was the big kind of uber highlighted in red, kind of circled and arrowed and... Topic of this entire paper. Um, there's the the breathing people quote him a lot. The other people that quote him a lot is the Kangen water crowd. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's, the, there, there's a there's a somebody's opinion whom I so it's, respect. It's uh, the the magnetism of Wu. This is like the the grand reunion of all the shit we've talked about for the last six months, all in one article. Now let's talk about Dr. Otto Warburg. He he did win the Nobel Prize. 
and uh, he was, you know, he did study cancer. Did he win for literature? <laughs> he no. Um, this hypothesis that we're talking about was in the early 20s. That's so the long time ago. The 1920s, and we have the 1920s. Um, since then, now at the time, he noticed that all cancer cells get their energy from um, anaerobic processes through fermentation of sugars instead of through aerobic processes through oxygen and cells. Hmm. Um, and so he figured this was a cause of cancer. Now we know that unregulated cell growth gets starved of, of oxygen. They need more oxygen. They try to get oxygen through these matrices of oxygen cells. And then when they can't get enough oxygen, they switch to more anaerobic sources of, of oxygen. It is not a cause. It is effect. And even if it weren't, the way you breathe has absolutely nothing to do with how cells become cancerous. Right, and that's such a broad... Brought because obviously like miners they they tend to have lung problems so it's actually their breathing that's causing these problems so them breathing <laughs> deeper would actually make it worse on them. I mean I plus, mean that's just that's just one one point against. Plus years ago it was already proven by George Carlin that broccoli cures cancer, and cauliflower cures the cancer you can see from across the street. I did not know that. Why do I not know that? It was in one of his stand up. Interesting. You've totally flummoxed us. <laughs> Moving on. Wow, I got an awkward silence. You know, this kind of stuff, you know, that theory has been debunked since the 60s, and it's still... It doesn't not, stop. Not, not, the, not, not the cauliflower repeated, broccoli theory. Not the cauliflower, but, one, yeah. but the fact that the, the lack, of oxygen, lack of oxygen in the cell causes cancer. Yeah. We've known that this is not true since the 60s, but it still gets propagated on the Internet. Yeah. So, The double-edged sword of the Internet. Number seven. It heals heart disease. Okay. Okay. Um, according to a Dutch study which compares two different groups of heart attack patients, deep breathing can reduce the risk of heart attack. Uh, the first group in the study was taught simple diaphragmatic breathing, while the second group was given no breathing retraining. Over the next two years, no one from the first group had another heart attack, while seven of the 12 members of the second group had a second heart attack. That sounds impressive. It, it does, and, but I can't trust anybody that walks around in wooden shoes. <laughs> now, this, this did sound impressive to me until I looked up the actual study. I pub <laughs> oh, you <laughs> actually did some research on this. Okay. I did. <laughs> so I did find this PubMed uh, study on PubMed, and they got their statistics a little bit wrong. Oh, dear. There Same was so. – um, this is actually um, – now, that may have been the preliminary study, but the main study, there was 156 patients. It was a five-year follow-up, and it had to do with they taught them breathing and relaxation techniques after the yeah, first heart Yeah, I couldn't attack. imagine it's just the breathing. It's relaxation, yeah. and obviously there's no surprise if you get better, if you, there's a reduced second heart attack, if you know how to relax. I think we can all agree to that. Plus, if you're taught things about how to relax you're also being more conscious about your condition so you work on other ways to be healthier like exercising and eating right but now they're saying seven of 12 if without the treatment had heart attacks where nobody who learned the breathing had right. a heart attack here are the actual numbers <laughs> the the treatment crowd there were 76 of them and there was 80 in the control after five years five of the treatment crowd had fatal heart attacks <laughs> and seven of the control. So, so wait, so the treatment crowd were the breathers? Yes. That's a 7% versus 9%. Did they die of a heart attack? 
Yes, cardiac death. Oh. Well, that kind of blows that. Because, I mean, if they just died, then... Cardiac death <laughs> be within five years. Um, it was 7% for the breathing crowd. Oh, and but they 9%. said over the next two years. So yeah. we're going to get five... Uh. <laughs> and 9% Clever. of the control. Clever. Um, second heart attacks. Uh, 10 for the breathing crowd, 12 for the control. That's 13% versus 15%. Like I said, this is just the, the, the grab bag of all the skeptical topics you could fit yeah. all in one, including cherry-picked data. <laughs> I'm, I'm, there, there's nothing for me to say that y'all haven't like said. Well, that's also because you're working on Facebook and texting on your iPhone at the same damn time. <laughs> now, I know I'm taking some time here, so I'm going to try to make these well, last we only, ones. We only have three more. But, number eight, it calms the mind and expands self-awareness. Now, this is great. Our breath is controlled by both the autonomic nervous system and the somatic nervous system. This means that we continue to breathe automatically when we're not thinking about it, and we also control our breath through awareness. This capacity is what makes the breath a truly unique function of the body. It is the link between the conscious and the unconscious aspects of ourselves. Through breathing consciously, we uncover all the dormant potential we have hidden in our bodies. Okay, so what they're saying is if we can teach an ape yoga, they will expand their consciousness. And they will uncover all the hidden potential of their body. Exactly. You know, I have a way to uncover potential in your body. Try something you've never done before and see (laughs) if you can do it. I think that's the best way to uncover potential. Right. Try something. I know how to breathe. This motivational message brought you by David Harcourt. (laughs) It's good. Yeah, no. And that's a good way to expand. Uh, You make new connections. I mean, this is what I do when uh, all the time. Read a new book or or go out and and, and try, you know, a new running technique or or a new filming technique or or whatever. Just feed your mind to make more connections. Just do it while you're breathing. (laughs) Good, Good point. You, oh. you don't know that it's not the breathing that's actually giving you the new experiences. It could be. Because you're doing both. That damn cough of mine. Well, I think the real study to be done is have a, a control group that doesn't breathe. <laughs> and see how they're healthy. Zombies. <laughs> now, the, the interesting thing is the first you know seven or eight of these topics... They try to be all sciencey, quoting PhDs. Yeah, I guess number eight with the conscious and unconscious and the dormant potential and the you know the capacity that makes the unique fun. That's this is where they really start to get wooey. So why don't you go on to the next one? That's a nice assertion. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Number nine. Oh, it heals emotional trauma. Oh, it's a it's a comfy band aid. This is a a big one. No, no, not a. I know. The I don't know if it's thing. It doesn't it's, say. It, it says, says this is this, big one. Oh, this is big one. Oh, I, I don't know I if it's the big one or a big yes, one. And I'm, we, we I don't want to overstate <laughs> what she's trying to say, so I'm saying a big one. <laughs> I've, I've started posting all the articles from our main topics to our Facebook page, so you guys can once we uh, once we post this in the next day or so, you can go read this yourself and see that the author wrote this is big one. You know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is the big one. Okay. I don't want to put words in in Debbie's mouth. Yeah, I want to say it's more, this is a big one. Because, okay. I I would say the big one would be the not breathing at all. Because that just kind of ruins everything. But, you know. See how successful Bill Gates is? He breathes. (laughs) 
Hitler breathe. <laughs> it heals emotional well played, trauma. Sir. Well played. This is the big one. Okay. <laughs> Throughout our lives, most of us have learned that whenever we feel an emotion that is uncomfortable or unacceptable, we can dull ourselves to the sensation of it by holding our breath. Not liquor? This is how we have learned to cope with discomfort. Who does that? I don't get this. <laughs> Do we hold our breaths when we have an uncomfortable emotion? Who does that? When I was four, I, I don't. did. But yeah. mainly because I, I don't was get kinda... this at it's, all. It's more the holding of breath until you get what you want as a five-year-old kind of thing. This. Okay, let's move on. However, when we limit our experiences of bad emotions, pain, sadness, fear, and anger, we also limit our capacity to experience the good emotions, joy, love, pleasure, gratitude. We learn to numb ourselves to the experiences of life. <gasps> However, though, through expanding and deepening our breath, we can restore our capacity to feel alive, joyful, happy, and hmm. pain, sadness. And yeah, fear. this is where she just went off the tra- <laughs> went off the rails entirely. Do not get it. I don't get it. No. Um, okay. Okay. I see. So you, you'll have greater emotions of joy, love, and pleasure, but at the same time, you'll have greater emotions of pain, sadness, fear, and anger. You'll yes. feel happier if you breathe less or breathe more? If we breathe deeper, we feel our emotions more intensely. That's so it's what if she's you saying. breathe righter, more correctly. Deeply. Well, she, you got to learn how to breathe in her class. Um, well, the for, of course. For, a, for only X the, number of dollars per hour. Yes, method. because yeah. this method that I've been doing for almost 40 years obviously isn't working for me. Next, yeah. she's going to hold know, a class to tell us how we're supposed to wipe when we go to the bathroom. <laughs> as long as you breathe while you do it, it's fine. <laughs> okay, we're gonna, we're, we've, got, we've come to the last benefit of proper breathing. Yay! Yay thank goodness. It connects us to our spirit. Oh. Whenever we lack inspiration in our life, we are not fully utilize, utilizing our breath. Citation needed. After all, one of the meanings of the word inspire is to inhale. As David Elliott... Is that healer, from Miriam or is that from Oxford Dictionary? It's Well, it was in Miriam. I looked it up. Okay. <laughs> Just to make sure. Yeah. Um, as David Elliott, healer and author states, the breath is the freeway to your soul. Now, I, I thought it was more of the, 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 the access road. <laughs> but is I didn't it get this a freeway first? in a pink Cadillac? <laughs> I didn't get this at first because connects us to playing. our spirit... And going into Inspire didn't, I didn't get it. Um, but she she goes into a little bit more detail on her breathing website, in that uh, spirit and inspiration come from the same Latin root. Well, that may be she true, but it doesn't mean that because breathing makes that, you healthier. I didn't get it. Now I get it. Um, <laughs> now I know what she's talking about. Um, so now we know. Um, All right. The 10 reasons that breathing can improve your health. And, and she has a seven-week online course, yes. in which case you can learn the three primary ways of our breathing becomes dysfunctional. And it's only $97. Conveniently, there's also, there's an online version. Yes, 97 bucks. Very nice. For the whole seven weeks? Uh, it looks like. It's not bad. Uh, optimize your breathing and improve your health for an investment of $97. An investment. I want to see the certificate of completion. <laughs> oh, God. I have learned how to breathe. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, though, she says it helps you connect with your spirit, number 10. But number four, 
is help helps you connect to your spiritual purpose. My question uh, is, it's is the purpose driven life. I think she had to edit this down for the blog. Uh, obviously. So you get a completion certificate. Is this something that you can post on your resume? You know, you know, I attended, you know, <laughs> University of Texas, received my degrees, da da da. Completed certificate program in breathing. That I guess it depends be... on what job you're going for. Well, I mean, it's all extracurricular activity, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, what are you interested in? Breathing. Just this okay. is just one more way. <laughs> this is one more way for these alternative medicine people to scare us into thinking that we're dying and we need to go. Yeah. Well, what about horrible. the yogis and stuff that slow down their breathing and like are buried alive for ten days? I mean, this they must come up like horribly. They're just trying to steal your picnic basket. And... Yeah, they should be like one big lump of cancer by now. <laughs> And definitely not creative. They're not writing the next great American novel. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Okay. So let's all take a deep breath <gasps> and move on. <sighs> Donna's going to tell us about some anthropology news. Some anthropology news. Actual science. Yes. Um, earlier this week, due to the, the droughts, there was a skull found at uh, Lake Georgetown. Um, scientists are believing that it's anywhere between a hundred and thousands of years old. Um, like I said, it was just recently. Wait, wait, break that up. Hundreds, <laughs> hundreds to thousands, thousands of right years old, not <laughs> hundreds of thousands years old. Right, or the, hundreds to thousands years old. It's I, both David and I read a, a separate article which got the numbers wrong and said the skull was hundreds of thousands of years like, old. Can't be. Sorry. Um, yeah. It is. It's Jesus's skull. <laughs> the Mormons were right. <laughs> Jesus is two hundred thousand years old. That's when the Mormons came over, right? <laughs> um, well, you know, they have a problem with history. Yeah. Okay. A little bit. Yeah, well, it is yeah the history part. It is The skull is currently in the hands of Texas State University, which houses one of the um, forensic anthropology labs here in the state of Texas. Great bunch of people um, who work there, and they are actually trying to identify the affiliation of the remains. Now, this is where... Like Republican, Democrat, gay, Native straight. American. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Indigenous peoples. No. Ah, okay. Now, this is actually where the law, and I have a, a serious issue with how the law handles remains that are of indigenous peoples that have been found. Because the way that the law reads here, NAGPRA says any group that can affiliate the bones can claim them and repatriate them back to their tribe. Okay. Now, a couple of years ago, there was a Kennewick man, which was a great discovery up in Washington State. Set of remains were found um, during actually a, a regatta hmm. on on a river, and it was a huge court case because the Umatilla Umatilla tribe said, "Oh, our creation story says that we've been here for tens of thousands of years." The bones were found on our land. They're ours. Screw you. We're taking them home. And scientists were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa wait a minute. We want to look at them. And it was a protracted legal fight uh, by Doug Owsley of the Smithsonian, of the Smithsonian Institute. Museum Institution. That was the word I was thinking. <laughs> um, that he actually ended up getting a brief look at it, took some measurements, and using data that has been gathered from all over the world by Ohio State University, basically laid claim saying, this is not Umatia, it is 
um, I knew out of Japan. Where was this again? This is a completely different Right, it's case. a completely different story, but it is cogent to this argument of how remains are handled. So is and this is this claiming this one? Kennewick Man is now actually at University of Washington. It is in their museum, and it is actually still under their protracted legal fight as to who can actually study the remains. Because actually, the scientists were actually barred from even touching them, mm-hmm. looking at them. While this fight was going on. This is kind of a a weird (laughs) issue I have with these claiming of remains kind of stuff. Because we touched a couple weeks ago on uh, the Aborigines in Australia getting some of their remains back. Because it was a very touchy subject. Because the British scientists would come by and just take remains and study them and that kind of thing. I understand the touchy subject of wanting to get remains back. But they're dead. They're not living people they're dead you know there's the there was this npr story about the aborigines getting the bodies back and committing and doing this whole ceremony with this peace pipe so that the bodies could be welcomed back home to get their rest they're dead right they're long gone and in the united they aren't missing home they aren't waiting for this they're dead <laughs> right and the problem is is in the united states nagpra the native american graves Protection and Repatriation Act is written so broadly that a Native American group can come in here right now and take these remains, no questions asked. Yeah. That is the problem that yeah. I was trying to get to, David, and yeah. wanted to kind of fill in the backstory about. And, and how because this we all... make our own remains so incredibly sacred, even though it's just fertilizer, we say, make everybody's it's else's no body sacred. That's the kind yeah. of problem. Yeah. But. Going back to the whole the ceremonies that they do for these for the for the bones and the remains, it's like how do they know that this person didn't have that done already? So they're they're at peace. <laughs> it's serious. I mean, yeah. So they're basically now they're calling them up again. So now the spirit's going, oh come on, I was at peace. Now I've got to do the dance. I was having a good time. You called me from a party. I had like chicks all around me. If it was a guy, yeah, yeah. It's it's incredibly <laughs> silly and. I just wish we had gotten past this. Well, right. as atheists and skeptics, I think we have a different view right. yeah, on how Native Americans are looking at their deceased. But, I mean, this this also ties in with how the Florida governor is now saying that anthropologists, the people who are going to study these remains, aren't really needed. And this know, is Rick Scott of Florida? Governor Scott of yeah. Florida. Basically, that they're spending a lot of money on education, and when you look at the results... It's not great, and that people should be studying more hard sciences, biology, chemistry, physics, math, as opposed to the softer sciences, such as specifically mentioning anthropology right. and, do, and do you psychology. To, and do you, oh, do you happen? He to did know, take a big old crap dump all over psychology. Do too. you happen to know why he mentioned anthropology? Because apparently his daughter majored in it and can't get yes. a job. Right, and that, <laughs> and as somebody who did and can't. But I actually do use but, my but you're, work. You're, in, con- you're con- constantly being called to, to right. do stuff, so it's not it's not a constant. It's it's more like contracting, right? The or, other side of it is is that anthropology. People think anthropology, and they immediately go to Margaret Mead living in the yeah, wild, right? You know, they're not mentioning the fact that you know Diane Fossey was an anthropologist, you know, studying the gorillas in Africa. They're not mentioning the fact that anthropologists work for major corporations studying efficiency. 
and real hard science. Yes. The the weird thing about this is that Rick Scott is pushing this um, on a crusade to bring about more STEM trainings, uh, science, <laughs> technology, education, math, and medicine. I've heard the second M being added as well. That he's trying to say, I'm a science education governor. Let's push more science by taking out this one science and and yeah. crapping all over liberal liberal arts and it's it's very weird that this republican governor is saying we're going to tell you what you should learn it's yeah. almost i i hate to kind of you know poison the well on this but it's almost you know communistic of this is job you should have yeah. <laughs> well i'm not sure i mean there's there's certainly a difference in attitude about liberal arts education Depending on where you are politically, yeah, I, I think that's it's clear that one people on the left have a little bit more appreciation of well-rounded kind of learning the philosophy and psychology and the writing. While I, I you know, I can see people seeing his position say, "We need to figure out what kind of jobs we need," and then just train people for that those jobs. And there's not a real deep respect for the, the, the broader education, that liberal and, arts education, even in even a scientist taking some anthropology classes, you know, and I is would very say valuable. This, I took most, anthropology classes. It was fantastic. Yeah. And I would say this. Most people don't understand what anthropology is until they've gotten into an anthropology class. You can sit there and have a generalized understanding of psychology. You, you know, you know that it's you ask the average Joe on the street, what is anthropology? And they're going to go. I... Wait, wait, but we can break it down. Um, anthropology. So has something to do with ants, and you're throwing ants, and you're saying you're apologizing to them. Something like that. Yeah. Right. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> the, the and the the this actually will probably have a bigger detrimental effect on all Florida universities, or at least the public universities, in that. Okay, even if you're saying we want to reduce anthropology, psychology majors, whatever, but we still want to have, say, Psych 101 or basic psych or anthropology courses. Well, if you're telling the professors that we're not going to have majors, we're going to, you know, we're going to try to kill your program, those professors aren't going to want to come work for the Florida universities. So those, those, those classes are going to be piece of shit classes anyway. Yeah. And the four biggest universe, state universities here in Texas all have doctoral programs in anthropology. UTSA, UT, um, Texas State, and um, Texas A&M all have doctoral programs. And speaking of Texas, do you know where Rick Scott got this idea? I had an idea let when me, I read this. Let, let me guess here. Let me give you a hint. Rick Scott got this idea from... Um. Rick James? Close! <laughs> Rick Perry. A rickshaw? He was in China. Appar apparently, Rick Perry planted the idea of, you know, his big ideas for education reform. His big ideas. Into the Florida governor's mind. Well, yeah, because we've talked right about after that. Right they got elected. The same thing here. The same thing was happening here. Yeah. They, apparently, it's this, this, this idea called the Seven Breakthrough Solutions, mm -hmm. which was a policy paper that um, a Texas businessman, Jeff... Sendefer wrote with the who, Texas Public Policy Foundation. Exactly, and it talks a lot about they're big critics of state universities, of research, of tenure, of science. I mean, the, the entire Rick Perry, the whole thing. Just 
the guy is totally anti-science. We, we weren't supposed to talk about, mm. but they had the the uh, anthropogenic global warming. Uh, this paper that came out about global warming and how Galveston specifically was going to be affected by this and, and like rising waters. And they went through uh, redacted uh, with a big black marker, marker. Yeah. and took out all mention of, uh, of global warming and sea rise. It's like and now the author won't even release the paper. Everything important There are a whole bunch of authors who said, take my name off that thing. It's yeah. not what I, my <laughs> science says anymore. It's so amazingly obtuse and short sighted. And it's like the, the United States, the Navy is already knows and they're already planning for the next 30 years, a hundred years because they know that the sea levels are going to rise. And it's they're going to have to move their naval bases. Right. <laughs> Well, actually, I was reading through this, the article about this that uh, from um, blogs.pelos.org, and apparently Miami Herald actually looked at the amount of people in all of the, you know, the different types of majors. Um, Liberal arts consists of 4.7% of degree seekers. (laughs) Really? And anthropology students are at an even lower percentage. At the University of Florida, for example, just 1.7% of all students study anthropology. The top undergraduate majors are in business and the sciences. There's a, I, I, I did not, that's actually fairly impressive. I, I, I didn't read through that entire blog, but there's this great graphic where they have, um, this, these three circles where they have the combined budget of Florida's top six public universities, which is basically, uh, two point, billion dollars is the total budget of the top six universities. Amount they spent on football, 270 million. Amount they spend on anthropology, 25.7 million. It's such a tiny piece of the pie. It's, but, but like they say, every little, I mean, that's why they're, they're trying to cut out like the one million or one billion dollar budget to uh, NASA, for example, or mm-hmm. 1.2 billion, whatever. You know, it's such a small piece, but oh, but all that money could go elsewhere. Oh, if we get rid of it, we don't have to, we won't have to pay for it, right? The problem is, is that this nickel and diming isn't dealing with their big budget issues. Right. right. It doesn't, it doesn't yeah. really help. Well, yeah. The, all of the discussion is in, in allowing more people to go to school by lowering the cost of education, right? By pinpointing the, the most value for the um, tuition buck, right? And now I was kind of impressed with, re- in researching this, exactly how many jobs anthropologists can do, you know, in, <laughs> in, in human factors, in forensics, in um, social, you know, diversity programs. Right. In film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, filmmaker. Um, it's a really, uh, they've done a good job of kind of integrating themselves into other businesses and programs. Right. And providing expertise in a lot of different, a lot of different areas. But uh, but the problem with getting rid of departments, especially in university, is all you're doing is making university exactly like high school. So you're just going to go through and you're going to take a set amount of courses, and they're all going to be boring courses, and no one's going to want to do it. So why even bother, right? So that gets rid of higher learning, basically, or what happens is you get rid of the the anthropology departments in Florida. All of those kids go out of state. Yeah. Boom. You've lost however many hundred students and tuition and then jobs. And then you so you, you lose a whole bunch of 
stuff. Yeah. And to me, you know, it's also a slippery slope. Well, we got rid of these, so that's almost like psychology, right? Or sociology. <laughs> I mean, anthropology is sociology, so we can kind of get rid of sociology too, right? Right, and yeah. then it get, ties into the other ones, like English literature. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, and who then needs, we... Who needs to learn about literature or history, for crying out loud? We've got David Barton. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then you start cutting the arts programs. Yeah. Which Painting. we already see. What do we painters already... ever do for anything? I sure like my Coca-Cola logo. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bad idea, I think. Yeah. 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 I it's, it... People should be allowed to pursue, especially at their own cost, you know, what what drives them. Because if you have people who are passionate about what they do, it'll lead to all kinds of different doors opening for for them and for other people because you never know where that next step, that next advancement is going to come from. And the, and the flip side to what you were saying earlier about people, if they cut the anthropology programs, they're going to go out of state to study it because yeah. that's what they want to study. You also get this really narrow-minded idea of, well, we're going to train everybody in STEM stuff so they can do STEM work in Florida. People move out of state all the frickin' time. None of us here in this room are from Texas. That's not true. I am. (laughs) (laughs) You spent a lot of time outside of Texas and you came back. Okay, a little bit of time. Okay. (laughs) Three of the people in this room were not from Texas. So we move uh, in the in the modern day. We move around a lot yes, to to get different jobs because it's not about the state anymore. No, sometimes it's not even about the country anymore. Right. Oh. And you know, anthropologists do work in conjunction with a lot of the hard scientists and the engineers to take their ideas and implement them. That's really what an anthropologist is doing in that you know business sense of taking. And looking at a situation and studying its efficiency and how to improve that for a business, which, you know, isn't that what Rick Perry and Governor Scott have all been on about? We need to have a more efficient business model and all of this jazz. And OK, it, it reminds me a lot of when Michelle Bachman was criticizing uh, Drosophila research, because who the hell studies fruit flies? That's just uh, silly. Right. She didn't understand what studying fruit flies can mean to all these other disciplines, and it doesn't seem like Rick Scott or Rick Berry understand about science and anthropology can touch all these other disciplines and teach us a, a lot about the human condition and about science in general. Right. And it's amazing to me that Rick Perry went to – now, granted, he was an animal husbandry. But it's it's weird to me, and I guess I shouldn't be shocked, that he went into sort of a science field, you know, animal husbandry. And, and yeah, there's – there's, there's some biology. Yeah, and, there's uh, science behind it. And you would think that you would – being in those types of – uh, classes that you would run into people from other classes, you know, who are coming through. Uh, because I'm sure in anthropology, you probably have to know about not just necessarily humans, but right. also uh, how, how, like, humans and animals, how they kind of interact, interact and everything and how else. how people use them, how they're right. raised, it greatly affects how right. a society like, is formed. You start, you start looking into, like, how, uh, oh, and I lost his name. I knew uh, Malinowski, you know, was was studying why, you know, pigs are, you know, disgusting and unkosher in Israel and among Jewish people versus the sacred cow, you know, and all of these things. I'm 
So yeah, there's more than just humans. Yeah, so you'd think that he would have interacted uh, with them, but of course he obviously didn't get much out of his degree, <laughs> and now he's all politics. Uh, well, tries to be anyway. Let's hope he stops. <laughs> it goes back to his ranching roots. Anyway, so education okay. good. We hope this doesn't happen. Learning good. Yeah. <laughs> See how many more states try to pick up this program. Yeah. You know? um, so let's move on. We're going to move on to the lightning round. Lightning round. Lightning round. Lightning round. <laughs> lightning round. Round. Dave, got anything to say about lightning round? <laughs> lightning round. <laughs> lightning round. <laughs> come on, guys. Go. Let's, Let's go. Let's be go. serious here. Come on. This is a serious come podcast. On. Okay, everybody, serious face. Serious face. Oh my god. Lion face. Happy face. Okay. That doesn't work on a podcast, guys. <laughs> Well, that's why I was doing the sound effects. Okay. okay. David, there's some new information about television <laughs> you, and beliefs? Um, is this tele-evangelism <laughs> nice, or something? Nice intro. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, so the, no I'm looking at the board. It's says TV beliefs. TV beliefs. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to talk about something called the sleeper effect. Okay? And I thought it was sleeper cell. This is called the sleeper effect, okay? This is something we all need to know as skeptics, okay? It's, it's been known for quite a while. It's the notion that we can hold on to a piece of information while gradually forgetting it came from an unreliable source. It's the kind of thing where I know I heard that somewhere, and initially you hear it as a falsehood or you're skeptical about it, but later you just remember it as a fact. Mm -hmm. So there's been some, a new study on that. And it was, um, about 150 students that had watched a, a Boston legal show and, and, um, everyone got surveys, but half of them got the survey right after the show to think about, you know, what they feel about this and that, what they feel about the show and all this stuff. And then in the whole another set of questions about, well, what is your feeling about the effectiveness of this, on the show, there was something called EpiPens, which which uh, give you the epinephrine. Anyway, initially, the people who got the survey right after the show were skeptical about it. But two weeks later, people asked the same question. Oh, yeah, that's really effective or, or whatever. The, you know, they were no longer skeptical. They don't remember where the information came from. And now they're just accepting it as fact. I hate this. I hate that this happens, you know. <laughs> it reminds you hear me of things. You go, okay, don't remember that. Don't remember that. That is yeah. not true. That is not true. It's almost like you've got to say that <laughs> over and over again. It reminds again. <laughs> me of seeing, uh, having the quiz on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me where they tell you false things, but you remember that yes. as the real thing weeks later. I hate that. Our brains suck sometimes. <laughs> I don't trust my brain. I think we, I, I think that we now have a new tagline for, for the podcast. Our brains suck sometimes. It goes well with your thumbs are stupid. Indeed it does. Works well. Okay, Gary. Hi. There's a, some new developments or new calculations in the Earth's population? Absolutely. And I'm going to combine this. This is scary. This is very scary. According to Science News blog, the Earth population is going to reach 7 billion by the end of this month, which is October of 2011. I know it's feeling a little heavy lately. That's a lot of people. Number two, a German Rosat satellite is coming down to Earth this week as well. Okay, so that's two things. Now, we've had a lot of satellites falling to Earth. That's scary. Number three, the Earth's birthday is October 23rd, 6,014th, according to James Usher, who was uh, a priest in the what, 
14th, 15th century. Ludicus doesn't matter. So 6,014 years we've so, gone from... number four, Harold Camping says the world is supposed to end on October 21st. This is what's going to happen. Okay, <laughs> we get the 7 billionth person born, the Rosat satellite falls to Earth, and we implode and we all die. Harold Camping is right. So with the 7 billion people, that just increases <laughs> the probability that someone's going to get hurt. Well, with yeah, this. no, but we're, we're going we're gonna to reach critical mass, and we're going to suck into a black hole. Suck in all the satellites. Absolutely. So we're all going to fall in. It's a in. convergence, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Hey, you know what? If, Perfect if storm all, sort of thing. If, if all of the, the planets were aligned, uh, it would probably rip us apart. <laughs> aligned like they are on my son's ceiling? <laughs> and if you ceiling? think I believe any, any of that... It's, but 7 billion people will be born by the end of the month, according to uh, uh, people who track such things. And that's a lot of people. So, happy birthday. All right, so we're all going to die. Yay! Yay! <laughs> well, I guess, you know, I, I, I You should have played the applause on that one. <laughs> now, you know, it's kind of hard to follow those up with pet acupuncture, because apparently... <laughs> This is the Doesn't new matter. thing for for treating your pet's arthritis. You know, it's a quote non-drug relief pain pain relieving option, and animals with chronic pain and a lot of owners don't want to have them on pharmaceutical pain relief every single day over concerns of kidney and liver function. That says it's especially helpful for conditions like arthritis. I I, I just can't help but say bullshit. <laughs> I can't help but say this. Pisses me off because oh this is your pain your dog is never is not feeling pain anymore, yeah. and he is, right. you know don't give him medicine don't give him pain relievers let's just do this in the meanwhile your dog is screaming in pain I hate yeah. that I if, hate that if acupuncture worked then uh, the dogs that get hit by prickly pears or by <laughs> by uh, what are those things uh, porcupines uh, they would be lovely they just love it the entire time. It's That's a good point. Total BS. Yeah. That's you know, really all I have to say is, you know, you can make that choice for yourself, but your pet, who has no say in this matter, don't subject them to your wound. It's another communicate sign of the apocalypse. Pain. They can't communicate their pain. <laughs> so, oh, so God, 7 billion people and animal but acupuncture. But do I have time to say really quickly, though, that I really like the fact seconds. that there's a veterinary board who has re- now refused to allow continuing education credits for alternative medicines for veterinarians. Yay. So there's a win right there. Very nice. Excellent. Yay. Okay, Greg, I'm looking at the board, and, you know, we just got back from the Texas Free Thought <laughs> Convention, and apparently the Russians are having a conference about yetis? Yes. Uh, the uh, Kemerovo's governor invited a whole bunch of researchers from the United States, Canada, and other countries to share their research and stories of encounters with the creature to a conference in Russia. And um, there's this funny video, um, I'll, I'll post it on our uh, Facebook page, um, or at least the link to it, of uh, this Russian television video of all these scientists, in quotes, and enthusiasts l- looking through this cave and basically coming across fur and footprints and saying, you know, oh, we found a couple furs. We count, uh, we found some footprints. And, and this apparently has made them 95% sure that a Yeti exists. Irrefutable proof. Yes. Irrefutable, indisputable proof of a Yeti. And there's a great treatment of this by Benjamin Radford on, um, 
I don't have the specific website. Um, but um, basically, they, they found a few re- um, hairs, and they're saying it's complete proof. But there have been so many of these stories before, like the guy who found a costume and said, oh, you know, a costume and put a, a badger in it or something. And, and all of a sudden, this is proof of... But, um, because the world is better with badgers. But the um, basically, a lot of people are saying this is just an attempt to, to try to get tourism up. But the great part about this, I'm going to take a small mulligan on this, is some of the comments on Ben Radford's article. The first one was, in Soviet Russia, Yeti discovers you. (laughs) And the other one was um, uh, someone who's commenting about the evidence of Yeti. And they asked the question, is there solid evidence? And he said, not Yeti. Uh, yeah, it, it really made me mad because it's an irrefutable evidence. I was expecting, oh, they have a body, they find a tribe or a thing. No, it's a yeah. hair. There are actually people at that conference who were uh, saying, if we don't have a body, we shouldn't even be talking about this. Exactly. It, 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 they're absolutely right. Okay, David, we're back to you. What's the newest word in cancer treatment? Okay, there was a recent study um, seeing if Reiki... Okay. Reiki. Is it Reiki or Reiki? I don't know. It's actually it's pronounced bullshit. Wait, we're gonna we're gonna give you five seconds because we're just trying to figure out the pronunciation. Okay. So <laughs> we're trying. There was a study to see if Reiki actually helps uh, uh, the comfort and well-being of cancer patients. So there was a double-blind uh, controlled trial with 189 patients, and some of the patients got. Reiki. Some people got a sham Reiki of people who didn't know what Reiki was and just went through the motions. And then there was a control group. What they found is that the sham Reiki and the real Reiki had the same effect. There was statistically significantly better than somebody who got no treatment. Okay. So this was the conclusion. The conclusion should be Reiki doesn't work. Okay. Any better than placebo. But the conclusion of the trial was these findings indicate that the presence of an RN providing one-on-one support during chemotherapy was influential in raising comfort and well-being levels, with or without an attempted energy field. Okay, so if if now it's all about let's do this, I'm just trying to think of if, if how do you implement this? Okay, just go there, give them some cam, make something up. It all it's all the same. Um, throw some pixie duck stuff dust over them or tell them that the quantum dark energy field is being you know through their body or whatever (laughs) what pisses me off about this this is what i don't like is this is energy medicine right this isn't just saying here this pill might do 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 you good this is dumbing down people this is this is making people actually would you like a mulligan yes this is you've got patients now okay telling them that there's it Everything wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's just so angry about it. I am angry. I'm getting upset for, for, because for our listening you're audience, dumbing down. He's really animated. <laughs> Dance are everywhere. Okay, you're telling patients. Um, um, you're giving them misinformation about how the body works, how the universe works. Every time you do this, right? And I mean, they can go out of the hospital thinking, oh, maybe. Deepak Chopra was right, okay? It's just you're dumbing down people by saying that there's this energy field. That's not how things work. That's why it pisses me off. Okay, I had a different take on that. I agree, but whatever. <laughs> Go ahead. I want to hear your I want to hear your take. Yeah, we'll talk about it after we're paying for the thing. Because I totally screwed that up. There's a, a new project coming around. A I know spooky that you even... project. Spooky. Is it just in time. Just in time for... Halloween. Halloween. No, no. Exactly. Just in time for Jesus Ween. Jesus. Right. 
I just have nothing. Oh, gravestone, of course. Anyway, there's a thing called citizen science, which um, you can go on to, and it gives things that just regular people can go out and help out with scientific projects or projects that scientists are doing. Um, and in this particular one, it's called the Gravestone Project. And what they want people to do is go out to um, uh, graveyards, <laughs> graveyards with a with a micrometer, and try and measure. The uh, indications of uh, acidity and rainfall, I should back up. Um, it, they, they want <sighs> bugger. Let's back up two minutes. Let me start over. It's only fucked up. good, Dave? Don't Hold on. Do you want to start over, Gary? I, I, need, I need to. I just completely lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. Um Anyway, do you want me no, to read I, I you still back have 30 in? seconds. Wait a minute. Gravestone Project. Okay. The weathering rates of gravestones are an indication of a change in the acidity of rainfall between locations over time. The acidity is affected by air pollution and other factors and can be used as a measure of changes in climate and pollution levels. The Gravestone Project has two levels of data collection. The first is the location of graveyards, which requires the use of a GPS. The second is the measurement of the weathering of mother. The second is the measurement of the weathering of marble and other gravestones, which requires a micrometer. Citizen scientists can participate in either or both tasks. So what you do is you sign up, you go out with your GPS and your micrometer, and you start measuring the uh, weathering of gravestones, and you send it in. There you go. Costs about fifty dollars for a micrometer. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Good That'll job on, on the I color me impressed. <laughs> I'm taking that energy drink. Started to so kick is in. It, is anybody going to do that? Any of us going to do that? I mean, I'm tempted. Um, I don't have a micrometer, but suddenly I can speak fast. <laughs> <laughs> The caffeine finally kicked in. I don't have in. a GPS for finding uh, cemeteries. Well, you, you know you haven't. Oh, well, you have an iPad. I'm sure there's an app. You mo- you know who might have GPS? Taxi drivers. Oh, yes. Segway. Segway. There we go. Yes. How do you use a- GPS to find <laughs> cemeteries? Well, no, okay. they, they need okay. to know where everything is. You go to the, oh, cemetery, so to the cemetery and get the and GPS reading. It. Right. Yeah. You geotag it. Okay. Okay. Okay, we're quite done now, so I can talk about mummies. I'm you use Google Maps to find the cemeteries. There you go. There you go. Can we talk about mummies now, Dave? And taxis. And, and GPSs, taxis. yeah. What about yeah. daddies? But um, Here we go. Okay. Now. Go. <laughs> okay. Britain's York University has decided that they are going to figure out the mummification process that Herodotus wrote about Um. And a chemist named Stephen Buckley, working with an archaeologist, a division of anthropology. Thank you, (laughs) Governor Scott. Um, They basically put out a word that they were looking for somebody who was who was terminally sick and wanted to participate in this project. Once they had died, Um, they found one Tutan Allen now, as he is so named. When he passed away, he's, he subjected his... he Tootin' Allen? Yeah, he allowed scientists to come in and remove organs from the traditional manner. Ooh, and he's dead. set him in a salt bath and basically mummify him as according to ancient Egyptian practices. You know what's funny? He's going to wake cool. up in this Egyptian heaven. <laughs> it's like... You know, um, and I have to, you know what, here's the thing. I have to give Alan Billis this. He goes, if it doesn't work, it's not the end of the world. It doesn't make any difference to me. I'm not going to feel it. It's still bloody interesting. Yay! It sounds like one of us, like I was talking about earlier. He says his main regret is that he wouldn't know how the experiment turned out. 
Oh, so, you know, unless and, he wakes up in Egyptian heaven. Egyptian right. after, after, or after and apparently after it was yeah. a great success, um, and there's going to be a documentary out about it soon. And his wife was very proud to have him, you know, be a part of the study. So, awesome. go science. Yay, You're science. Gonna be talking in different Yay, languages. Yay, science you know. okay, talking to Greg, <laughs> I'm looking at the board, and I see psychic girl and a soccer player. Ooh. Yes, this so- is actually two different topics. Sounds like a Hannibal uh, First, a quick report from our friends and allies in Saudi Arabia. The Saudi Arabia Moral Police have arrested uh, Colombian-born soccer player Juan Pablo Pino because he has a religious tattoo. He has he has a fa- the face of Jesus on his arm, and he was going he was out at a shopping mall, and other shoppers expressed outrage over his religious tattoo. So the moral police decided to arrest him. And he apologized, and he said, you know, I, I pre- express deep sorrow for my actions, and I respect the Ouch. laws of this country. I express deep sorrow. Yeah, what a <laughs> bastard country Saudi Arabia is. And out of Palmdale, California, a woman who claimed to be a psychic persuaded a 12-year-old girl to steal jewelry from her family and throw it into a cauldron to lift a curse and appease evil spirits. This girl was a classmate of this, uh, of, of the daughter, the classmate of the daughter of the psychic, uh, and she stole more than $10,000 worth of unique jewelry wow. from her parents. All that, a lot of that stuff has been showing up in pawn shops. <laughs> and now deputies basically have arrested her for extortion and, um, want to know if there's any other people who have been uh, taken in by this quote-unquote psychic who had basically a whole bunch of cauldrons and candles <laughs> and chalk outlines and beads and dolls in her garage. Oh, okay. What a crotch hole! They use cauldrons still? I'm trying That's to use funny. this kind of skeptic thing of not using gender-specific <laughs> insults, so this woman is just a crotch bag! <laughs> Okay, and... a smurfing crotch bag. Wait, psychic or witch? I mean, because witches use the cauldron. She called herself a psychic. Okay. And yeah. you know, we're we're gonna finish this out tonight. We're gonna finish out the the lightning round with a special, just kind of we'll a send bonus. it out bonus <laughs> bonus, bonus, track. bonus. Yeah. Um. So we've all heard of the hitch slap. <laughs> <laughs> this is nothing like that. Um. It's a tit slap. Uh. Thailand. <laughs> Is Are sponsoring. they slapping little mice? No, no, no. <laughs> Titmaps, I get it. Okay. <laughs> Just for those of you that know, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Yes, so, thank you for explaining the joke, Gary. I'll cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> I won't. Thailand is sponsoring slapping to enhance breast size. Uh, it's. I don't think I need to worry about that. <laughs> no. Uh, most... So Thai women, generally speaking, are you know very smaller chested. That's right, and just in general are small and petite, and they have petite breasts. So this lady got got this technique from I think her grandmother, because it's always you know passed down to the thing. And um, basically, she slaps the breasts into place, which and gets fat from like around the back or whatever, and kind of tries and gets the all the fat from around the body into the boobs and that's really what this is it's it's kind of so is that why thai women have no back fat 
It's because they've been slapping it to the boobs? Apparently that's going to be the case. I have an important question. Her grandmother passed this down to her. Right. Is her grandmother named Linda Lovelace? No. Does this explain why all the booby slapping keeps happening in modern pornos nowadays? No, because those are fake boobies. Which she recommends, actually, if you really want big boobs, go ahead and get the surgery. (laughs) But if you can't afford that, then, you know, $360, no, $380 gives you six six sessions. Well, that was a Freudian penis. (laughs) Yes. Uh, cucumbers. Uh, six <laughs> sessions cost $380, or you can learn how to do it, which if you just kind of see the technique, they have a video of it, you can probably figure it out. Um, or have a friend do it. You, you, she can teach you the technique for, <laughs> oh, what was it? It was like three, oh, it's not on this one. Oh, bugger. Um, can you get certified in that? Yes, according to, to this lady. We could all be certified booby slappers. Uh, it's something like $380,000. It can go well with that hat. Some people wear FBI, federal booby inspector. Right. <laughs> so if you want larger breasts, you can. And have plenty of back fat. And, right. And they have fat because there are some people who are too too small. And they this will not work. But Oh, it won't work for some people? Does it no. actually uh, work? <laughs> uh, well, they say it's measurable. Uh, up to two centimeters um, uh, measurable up to two centimeters larger. That could probably okay, hold just on, be. Hold on, it's an inch to go a cup size. So really, well, it's <laughs> one session, and it, but it, it, they haven't apparently figured out whether that's just the swelling from getting your breast. Yeah, slapped. I was going to say it's just inflammation. <laughs> <laughs> you oh, could also make your know. you could also make your breast bigger by being allergic to bees and have your breast stung by bees. It doesn't mean it's a good idea, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's, or, a, that's a good point. Or you could spend the $50 and get a Wonder Bra. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think um, I think we're done with the yeah. lightning round. And and hopefully, hopefully Harold Camping is wrong and we're not wrong, done with this world and this life and this so, podcast. So if before? there's an episode 29, you'll know that he was wrong. That's right. Yes, that's the only way people will know that Harold <laughs> Camping was wrong. So, does anybody else have anything? Announcements? Anything? Mm, no, nothing. You we'll got just, nothing? We'll just post some topics to our Facebook page if you want to read through some of the stuff that we talked about this week. Uh, Facebook.com slash SkepticWire. Uh, please give us a like. Please give us reviews on iTunes. And we're already planning a couple of blog posts, so please check out our blog at SkepticWire.blogspot.com. Absolutely. We'll be here before Halloween. Yes, Okay. Right. <laughs> and, and after my birthday. And that's totally irrelevant. Well, we oh, went, after your oh, birthday. Yeah, actually, yeah. Happy, happy birthday to Paul Mitchell. You know, he has his oh, birthday this week. And Donna and we'll be David. Donna and David. I had a birthday. Yeah. Yep. This past week, yes. We have to Thank wait you. a couple months for Gary and I to get older. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I, I age only by the year, so I haven't aged at all since my last birthday. Just, <laughs> just kind of like, kind of like a Dorian Gray. Only not at all. <laughs> okay. Is there, is there a answer. creepy uh, painting of you in one of your closets? Not saying. No. no. <laughs> okay, okay, it's been fun. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night. Cheers. We love you. Ding. <laughs> 
Skeptifier podcast theme music is by Oscar Lawn with guest mandolin by Greg Perrine. If you've enjoyed listening to The Skeptic Wire, leave a review on iTunes or leave us a voice message via the PodPosted app for iPhone. Friend us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at The Skeptic Wire. Follow our blog at skepticwire.blogspot.com or send us an email, skepticwire at gmail.com. You've been listening to The Skeptic Wire. Facebook. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, oh my God! <laughs> what the hell? I, I mouthed it to you so you can create a nice natural segue into talking about us posting pictures on Facebook. <laughs> you just blurt out oh, Facebook. Facebook. <laughs> such consummate professionals. Uh, <laughs> I did that on purpose. <laughs> Glad it went over well. <laughs> so, for those of you, uh, speaking of the convention, <laughs> try again. <laughs> Here's my question. If once you complete her course, can you pass <laughs> Can you, is that like something you put on your resume? Why don't you know, start over on that yeah, point for, in a second? Because <laughs> that dog just started snoring. I tried. I just. I, I was trying. Okay. It's easier for Gary to edit if you just start over. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. So.